Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. And welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about trustworthy teachers But before we do that, I want to remind you of PeaceWorks University. You know, week after week, I tell you that if you are benefiting from the things you're hearing on the PeaceWorks podcast, well, PeaceWorks University is your best next step. It is full of resources that we believe will help you develop a gospel-centered response to the evil of domestic abuse. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. Well, let's turn our attention back to some questions, and uh, I've got a couple. I'm going to split up over a, a few episodes, I think, uh, regarding kind of uh, cross-pollination or differing opinions when it comes to teachers and denominations and and leaders. So uh, let's just begin with uh, the first question uh, that we're going to try to tackle this week. How can we think well about Christian teachers who seem to speak faithfully to certain topics, but who have problematic or even dangerous stances regarding abuse, marriage, gender roles, and so on. How do we read or listen with charity and grace while also continuing to champion truth, protection, and freedom for the oppressed? Well, thank you for the question. It's an interesting question for me because it is is something that's kind of dear to my heart in large part because of some disconnect, excuse me, some disconnect that I I continue to have uh, with some of my peers and some odd discussions that I find, and I find them odd, although some folks would find them incredibly beneficial or or maybe necessary. Uh, And that is just the seemingly, the ease at which we seem to jettison individuals um, based upon differing opinions, different theological positions, or even areas where they get things wrong. Now, I'm not saying that we should not uh, stand for truth or that we should not speak when individuals um, deviate from orthodoxy or even if they practice dangerous practical theology, which is really the heart of the question. But I think what I want to do is kind of layer a little bit of story and a little bit of just thinking um, over this topic and then kind of respond to the the meat of the topic, which is the idea of the practical theology askewing. So I really want to start with this idea of do we have any obligation or is there is there any reason to be charitable uh, when it comes to teachers, preachers, authors who differ from us or um, is there an, or does their agreement with us, which maybe is a better way to put it, necessitate our loyalty, even if there is some dangerous or significantly practical problems with their teaching? Let me, let me unpack that just a little bit. And this, this struck a chord with me, this question, because it, it reminded me of a conversation I had years ago, uh, with some friends at, at, uh, lunch. Uh, we were we were talking 
uh, this was in a different state. This was at kind of an event, and we were we were discussing uh, some of the the teachers that we appreciated, and I had brought up a name that uh, the the other two individuals I was speaking with um, found, for lack of a better word, triggering. The the name that I mentioned shocked them that I would mention it because he was at that time known for a specific theological position that none of the three of us agreed with, right? So there's three of us there. We're talking about people that we respect. um, And I had brought up this person's name and they quickly, you know, informed me, educated me as to his theological position on this one issue to which I said, oh yeah, I know. I don't agree with that either but I really respect the work that he does in this area, how his church responded in this way. And frankly, the the way he's been treated for this theological issue and how he's responded well, even though I disagree with him, you know, has, has earned my respect as well. And that was a, a huge point of contention uh, that I did not realize we were diving into. I didn't know that I was stirring kind of a hornet's nest of reaction because the two other individuals um, began to be very concerned for me as someone who, you know, respected individual A, despite the fact that his theology was quite different from ours in one area. Now, I would not consider this theological divergence, this difference to be salvific. Um, I would consider it to be um, distinct, and I would disagree with it. However, I don't think it's condemning. I don't think it is undermining one's salvation. I think it's a, a differing of opinion that's regrettable because I think the Scripture's far more clear to the one direction than the other. However, when discussing it, some other names came up and some, some folks that I might consider less charitable. And, and here's how the discussion went. I understand that we don't theologically agree with so-and-so. But the person that, that you just mentioned has been incredibly gra- graceless and lacking charity in interacting with person A. And the response was, that doesn't matter because truth is truth. And I remember that conversation really striking a chord with me that we have an affinity, you know, my friends and I have affinity for different things. That my friends have an affinity for the theological concepts that are held and touted and are willing to overlook the personal kind of um, antagonistic, hateful, spiteful behavior, you know, because of the theological held positions and I was speaking out of admiration for a person's just practical theology, their life, their ministry, the way they treat people in spite of a theological difference. Now, that's not to puff me up or to tear them down. It's simply to say we were looking at two different things. And to our question today, I think that's what happens so often when we start evaluating Christian teachers and Christian preachers and, and pastors a, we should be held to a higher standard. I'm not denying the fact that the things that we say 
with a platform should be should not be scrutinized. They absolutely should. We should interact with what's being said. At the same time, we should recognize who's saying it, that we are all people. And there, there's no doubt in my mind that I am wrong about some things. I may not know what they are yet. By, the, by God's grace, I'll develop and grow and, and grab a little bit more knowledge and wisdom. I'll probably make some wrong turns. Uh, as I move forward in life as well. And I think all teachers have that. And so I guess I bring that up to say I am far more concerned with tribal loyalty because of held or stated theological positions that lead us to be blind to someone's life and their practice. And I think that's the heartbeat of the question. When our questioner says, how can we think well about Christian teachers who seem to speak faithfully to certain topics. I'll pause there. By doing just that, I think we think well of people. I think that's a scriptural principle to think the best. And so I do think we we think well of people. We try to show respect to individuals. And if what they're teaching is true and biblical, and we believe that to be the case, then I think it's completely fair to say, I love what so-and-so teaches. I do appreciate how they handle this particular theological topic. However, the question has a but. How do we do that with individuals who maybe seem to teach faithfully, but they have a problematic or dangerous stance regarding abuse, marriage, and so on? Well, to me, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, so that the idea here is it is one thing to have a held theology. Like we take sin seriously. We uh, have a high view of God. We have a um, high view of Scripture. Uh, we have a, a high view of the, the Holy Spirit, of the church. We have these theological concepts, these theological premises that are, you know, doctrinally central to who we are. But if they don't inform how we behave, if they are jettisoned or tweaked or twisted to the harm of someone else, then I do think that's a problem. So how do we think well of individuals? I think we show charity. I think we show grace. Um, I think as we read something that strikes a chord with us as off or maybe contradictory to one's held theological position. And if we're in a place to speak to it, then we, we try to speak to that individual. In fact, I, that let's go back to the conversation. So two of the names that we were dropping in that lunchtime conversation, they happen to live in the same city. Um, and I remember saying, it's like, well, rather than write this position paper or make this public statement, like wouldn't it have been easier if for lack of a better word, your guy just called my guy and they went and had a burger. Like, wouldn't that have made sense? Like, hey, Bob, want to know if you get together for lunch this week. Um, we'll love to talk to you about theological position A. Well, sure, Jim, I'll see you over at, you know, Johnny McGillicuddy's Tavern or whatever. Like that, to me, seems rational and reasonable. Maybe it did happen. Maybe that's how it unfolded and I don't know about but it sure seemed more like a war of words rather than relational 
um, conversations. So that's where we start, right? Because what if we're able to be the catalyst or the um, tool, the instrument that God uses to bridge the gap between held and stated theology and practical theology so that our, our pastor, friend, or leader, or author looks at their work, their beliefs, and then looks at their work and sees the disconnect. Well, it's going to be difficult for me to promote the sovereignty of God, for instance, and then diminish the agency of a wife over the sovereignty of a husband. Like I, I really was elevating um, a husband's status, say, to the status of God when I really should have been trusting the Lord with this, this, and this. Or, um, you know, maybe I do have a higher sense of authority. Maybe I was conflating authority and power and I wasn't recognizing the servant leadership um, principles of Jesus in John 13 and Matthew 20 and Mark 10. I think you're right. I was conflating. I was overinflating the notion of authority to the detriment of the pastor by giving him too much power and certainly to the detriment of the parishioner by not giving them a means of uh, seeking help. And, and so that is a possibility. So are we positioning ourselves in a way to educate? Now, I, I think the question in and of itself, you know, has kind of the assumption that this person's out of reach, that they're out of reach. How, how do we confront the seemingly unconfrontable? And, and I think that that question um, is very, I think, time sensitive right now because of what's happening kind of in our culture and in our conservative tribe right now. And I think what we're seeing is the right response. When someone is in such a public place that private conversation and confrontation doesn't work, then public confrontation becomes the means by which they have to be addressed. And so I think we always try to go along with the spirit of the questioner, which is charity and grace uh, but at the same time, when there is a a consistent resistance to the grace being offered and the practical theology is continuing to harm individuals, then voices have to raise up and those voices have to be positioned to be heard. And so it's going to be multiple voices um at multiple times, and certainly some people in position of, of power are going to have to be involved in that conversation. Let's see if I've missed anything. Um, yeah, how do we do that and continue to champion truth, protection, and freedom for the oppressed? Yeah, that's the tension, and it's a good tension. I actually think this is a good place to live, and I know there's some that disagree with me. I, I have over the years quite frequently had individuals criticize me Um for not picking sides soon enough, meaning, you know, you've got to be hardcore against, you know, everything that isn't completely for us, um, you know, or you've got to be hardcore on board with the establishment so that we can properly fight off these accusations. And I don't think those are healthy approaches. I don't think the, the polarizing approaches are healthy. I, I think what is healthiest is the tension of, we want to be charitable and gracious. And at the same time, 
hold to those principles and continue that practice that sets us apart. I think that's a Matthew 5, Romans 12 type of response, which is this third way of saying, I'm not going to resist the hateful um, with hate. I'm not going to resist the spiteful with spite. I'm not going to resist the powerful with might. I'm going to resist those things with gospel tools, gentleness, patience, kindness, those virtues that are going to continue to, in some ways, health in a healthy way, insulate us, you know, and, and in a healthy way, isolate them. And I think that's a scriptural principle of biblical resistance draws attention to the sin or the hypocrisy of the one committing it, not to the zeal or the fervor in the one confronting it. And so I think that's where the most healthy resistance comes from is when people see the sin of so-and-so, of, of the person committing these acts, these dangerous practical theology, dangerous teaching, while the accuser is seen as somebody who cares. Because we do. Do we really care about this individual? I hope so. Because if, if they experience redemption and freedom in Christ, then everyone who's hearing these dangerous teachings are also seeing and witnessing that transformation. And not everybody agrees with that. I understand. Um, but, but we have made the decision at PeaceWorks not to be, um, to be a voice, but we don't necessarily have to be the loudest voice or a booming voice. We want to be a consistent voice because we believe that consistency um, is one of the keys to proper resistance. So I think you, when the question is, you know, how do we read and listen with charity and continue to champion? I think that's, and I hate this, I hate to do this because I'm going to turn the question back on itself. I think that's exactly what you do. I don't think it's a how to, I think it's a, a must do. We continue to listen and we show grace, but at the same time, we don't waver on the convictions that God's laid on our heart because we care about women and children. We care about the vulnerable. We care about truth. We care about the glory of God. We care about, care about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And oftentimes what happens in this persistent pushback of healthy biblical resistance, you end up pitting the gospel against the institution. Because when we try to preserve an institution or a position of power, or fame, or identity, it will eventually crumble underneath the weight and the wind and the significance of the gospel. Uh, at least I believe so. Um, the issue is, you know, it doesn't always happen in our time, and it's it's somewhat out of our control. And I think that's where aggression and um, being demonstrative and kind of meeting the resistance with the same fervor and hate um, makes us feel better because it feels like we're doing something if we're meeting them in kind. But I, I do think it undermines um, our potential to speak truth and to be heard and for the individual being confronted to actually see the, the need for change. They often see us as an enemy rather than um, someone who's compassionate enough to confront them. I, I hope that's helpful. I know that's uh, a lot of layers to that and, um, that that's 
one of our heartbeats here is that we can continue to promote good theology, um, good practical theology, and it in turn will lead the church to developing and adopting changes. And I think you, you do see more lasting change through conversation, grace, invitations to repentance and conviction than you do through force. Um, I think it, it's hard because oftentimes um, people in power are using coercion and force to get what they want, and it would be so much easier if we had some kind of equal force to use back. But we actually have, I think, a greater means of resistance um, through truth and through these virtues, the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about. Well, I hope that was helpful. I appreciate the question so much. Um, Please, if you enjoy the PeaceWorks podcast, would you let the platform you're listening on know? You can do that by rating, giving us a review, subscribing, following, whatever the platform asks for. Uh, That would be greatly appreciated. We appreciate you. We're thankful that you're here week after week. So once again, thank you for being part of the PeaceWorks podcast. Until next time. God bless.